I fell unconscious a few times because the pain was just enormous. I wasn't sure what was going on. I was going in and out. But I knew that all I wanted to do was survive. So I saw two windows that I was by. It was a little bit higher. And I wanted to survive. And so I did everything I could to go to those two windows. Hi, this is Shlomo Sosin, the host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and specific strategies on how you as a teenager can overcome any adversity in your life. Before we start this podcast interview, and if you haven't done so, I do have a free ebook. It's called The Seven Quick and Easy Ways to Feel Better About Yourself. And these tips are based off of, you know, the hours and hours of my own therapy sessions I've gone to, being coached by one of the best speakers in the world. And I want you to download it for free. Click in the link in, in my description if you're tuning in for, from podcast and put your email in. I'll go ahead and send you the free ebook. Today's podcast guest is Marius Woodward, and I love Marius's story. I discovered him on TikTok, and he was in 2007. He was involved in a house fire in Romania when he was eight and a half years old, um, which um, left him in the hospital for several months, almost a year. And his parents also passed away from the house fire as well. And today, Marius is going to go over his story and how he stays so positive during these tough times. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just been, you know, busy week. But I want to ask you, yes. I, yeah. you know, I saw your TikTok. I, we were just chit-chatting before and you said your TikTok is just starting to blow up right now. Um, so you took a chance on yourself. I want to hear your story more in detail, if you don't mind. Yeah, about my burns or how I came to America or by the TikTok. Back, let's go back to 2007 about the house fire. Okay, yeah. It was, it was a crazy night. It was December. Um, and my parents, they would normally go to Italy and work uh, and get money for six months and then come back to Romania and kind of help out, you know, with the farm and just kind of hang out with the farm. But, what happened with my brother, he was getting older too, and he would go to Italy and work. So my brother was in Italy working, and my parents came down for Christmas. Um, and my, I also have a sister too. She was 16 at the time, and she was with her boyfriend that night. And my parents were home, and they, my dad, he was you know super excited to celebrate Christmas. And uh, he was just been drinking a lot that day, and like I've never really I've I've seen him drink but I've never seen that angry and it just kind of carried on all through the day and uh at night on December 10th I think um he just he really he kind of lost control he started arguing with my mom I was just me my mom and himself at the house and he started arguing with my mom I wasn't too sure about what exactly um but the next thing I know is that he he went outside and we thought that he was going to like take a break or something. Uh, he came back later on with a gas can in his hand wow. and yeah. And he was still just as angry as more angry, if not. And again, he was, he was drinking a lot. He was angry. He was not thinking clearly. And, uh, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was eight and a half and I was really scared. 
I didn't know what was happening. So my mom was on one bed and I was on another. It was right next to each other. So I saw my dad arguing and I was scared. And I tried to jump into my mom's bed. And my dad was standing right there in front of the door. Um, you know, we can do anything by hot stove. And so when he saw that I was trying to jump to my mom, he instantly just had the gas can in his hand already and just barely touched the stove and threw the gas right in between the two beds. And I just instantly kind of, kind of flames and I fell down right in between. I fell unconscious a few times because the pain was just enormous. I wasn't sure what was going on. I was going in and out, but I knew that all I wanted to do was survive. So I saw two windows that I was by. It was a little bit higher and I wanted to survive. And so I did everything I could to go to those two windows, break those windows and jump out. But uh, it was really hard in there because it felt like time was in the house. It felt like time was super slow down. I didn't have any feelings. I didn't have pain, love, care. I didn't have anything. All I wanted to do was just survive. But when I was in there, like I was trying to reach the ta- the windows. I couldn't reach them. I was like shorter. So there's this stool that I would try to put up, stand on top of it to break the windows. I remember one time it fell down and that's when I kind of fell unconscious. I don't remember a little piece up there, but then I stood it back out, stood it back up and I broke those two windows and jumped out and I started crawling. Uh, and then one of my neighbors found me, uh, his name is Zionel. He found me crawling and picked me up and took me inside of his house. And then everybody started rushing back to the house to see if they could help out my parents. Um, the ambulance came and I was the first priority that would go, um, the children, mother, and then the father. Uh, I went on first and they take, they took me. Then after that, another ambulance came. They picked up my mom, brought her to hospital. Uh, fortunately she didn't make it in the hospital. And then they picked a third ambulance came, picked up my dad. Uh, and he just, passed away in the ambulance there. It was a really, I mean, it was a really hard moment because I didn't know about my parents' death until like three months after I woke, mm-hmm. I was in the hospital. I woken up from a coma. I was just starting to get a feel of life again. I was starting so you, to feel emotions again. You were in a coma for about two months? I was in a coma for about three weeks, I think. Three weeks, okay. Three weeks, yeah. And during this time, I was going in and out of it. Like, I would wake up, like, you know. But about three months until about Mother's Day, because this after those three weeks, I woken up. I wanted to see my mom. I wanted to see my dad. And I asked the nurses. I asked, you know, everybody. And they were like, your parents have been burned to. They were being treated just down the hospital, you know, in the next room. And then the next time after that, they would tell me that they were in another hospital. And they would just not tell me what happened. Until eventually on Mother's Day, I was like a little bit stronger. And I'm, I told the girls, Jessica and Ashley, to give me a flower, a real flower, so I could give it to my mom. Um, and then my aunt told me that day that both of my parents passed away. And that kind of really did just like really, it, it, I, I didn't feel like I went into depression for two weeks. I went, I went into depression. Um, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink. I had this sport over my body 
I had this fort over my body. So the blankets couldn't touch me. Um, and I hid under there for two weeks and the nurses and doctors would actually come and threaten me and tell me if I wouldn't drink or eat, that they would have to put an IV back in my arm to give me the fluids. And then they would have to put a tube up my nose to give me the nutrients I needed for food. Uh, and they knew that I hated those two things. So that was them threatening me. And where's your, um, during the times you're in the hospital, where was your brother and, and your sister? Yeah, so my brother, he was in Italy working. Mm-hmm. And it was about like a week or so until my my uncle called him and said, one of my uncles called him and said, hey, this is what happened. Your brother, like everything happened. So my brother came down to Romania and, uh, you know, started helping out with the funerals at the house and me. Basically, he was kind of getting ready to take become a parent like that's Mm -hmm. he took that job my sister she was still with her boyfriend you know there was really no no other place that is home so my brother was just trying to take everything and figure out how to deal with the funerals try to visit me in the hospital um, because we didn't have money we didn't have cars we didn't have you know wi-fi phones we didn't have any of that Mm-hmm. And it was a long drive. It was like a seven or eight hour drive to from my village to the hospital where I was at. So it was a lot for them as well to come and visit me, but um, they would come and visit me as, you know, when they could once a week or two times a week. And yeah. And how long were you in the hospital for? I was, until I left the hospital and I did not come back. I was in there for about nine months. Mm-hmm. And then where did you go afterwards? After that, well, so what happened was on my birthday, um, before I found out that my parents passed away, two girls from BYU, from America, came down to Romania from abroad. And uh, they heard about my story, that my parents passed away. I lost my fingers, my nose, and I was burned over 75% of my body. They they really kind of, like, they came and visited me on my birthday, and they just fell in love with me after that because they brought me balloons, candy, stickers, and we just had a good time that day. After that, they just kind of visited me every day. They started contacting their families in America because they're like, we see this boy, like his parents passed away. He's got literally nothing else. What is there that we can do to help him out? And so the first thing was for them to find a hospital here that could do my surgeries that I needed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's why it took so long for me to stay in the hospital too, because I didn't have any other place to go and that was the best place. And so after all this work going through, they called their families, everything. They found a hospital that could take me in if they brought me here. It was Shriners Hospice for Children. And so it's they finally, it's an amazing hospital. They do all your surgeries at no cost if you're under the age of 18. Mm-hmm. So if you have burns or spinal problems or, you know, your leg is one leg is smaller than the other. Uh, I don't know what the, the right words for all this, but um, something like that. If you're younger than 18, they will do all your surgeries at no cost because they get all their fundings from it's a nonprofit hospital. It's mm-hmm. an amazing hospital. But yeah, they, they're able to find them and try and like, yeah, we could do all his surgeries if you guys bring him here. So. After that, my well, my brother had to work with becoming my legal guardian, 
uh, and then Jessica and Ashley brought us over here to America. Uh, and the first year I lived in Arizona with Jessica's family and that's where I learned English and kind of got used to the American culture. And I just, well, it was kind of like a, a vacation sort of for me because I just spent a whole year in the hospital, about a whole year in the hospital. So they were just trying to kind of loosen me up. And uh, then after that, uh, everybody was kind of getting a big surprise because my brother and Ashley, the other girl, uh, were falling in love. And so they wow. announced that they were getting engaged and then they, <laughs> that, you know, that they're going to get married. So everybody was super excited. I was super excited. And, um, and after that, Ashley's family was like, that is so cool. And, you know, I wonder if Marius would want, you know, to get adopted by us. And so they asked me and I was like, yes, of course I want to. And, um, and then I got adopted and I moved down to California. I think wow. that was in 2011 when I, when the adoption was finalized. So you went from... So, Romania in the hospital was there for eight, nine months, then moved to the United States, was in the hospital there for another year at Shriners? Uh, well, I was in the hospital in Romania for nine months. Nine months. After I came to America, I was just kind of in and out of the hospital. Yeah, so I would like, I think the longest I spent at a Shriners hospital was probably like a week to two, two weeks. Mm-hmm. That was the longest. But even that, that was like a, it was just the hospital there that they have is just so nice that it didn't even feel like I was going in to get a surgery or that I was in a hospital. It just felt like family. It was you t- really awesome. You talk about your hands and your nose, um, how you got surgery done for that. What did they do to um, repair those d- damages? Yeah, I mean, so the first, the first thing is that I needed to get done was my eyelids my eyelids were stuck oh, okay. apart so yeah. i couldn't blink them and they were afraid that i was going to go blind if i couldn't blink and i was gonna and so the first thing they did it was take skin graft and they t- uh, this was the first fun surgery because i was like i don't like my ears how they sticking out like this and you know and they're like what if we take some of the skin from the behind of the ear and that way your ears can get pinned back a little bit so they don't stick out as much and we can put that skin around your eyes. And I'm like, really? You can do that? And so they're like, yeah, we could do that. So they took, some skin. Yeah, they took <laughs> some skin from behind my ear and put it around my eyes. And uh, now I can finally blink, you know. Uh, but then, yeah, the bigger ones are my nose. My nose was really big and my hands. Well, mostly my hands were the biggest because I got burned. Um, my, my fingers got burned so badly that they had to amputate them in the hospital because they're afraid that it was going to get infected through my whole hand or more. And so basically if you have your hand and you, you know, make uh, your knuckles, it was, it was cut off all the way to your knuckles. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just a paddle was all closed. And, um, the first thing they had to do is figure out what surgery could benefit me. And they gave me three options which was a total hand transplants, mechanical hand, or someone a hand transplant. But they gave me the pros and cons to all of them, and I couldn't feel the tra- mechanical hand, or you know, I'd have to use put different ones on and off to do certain things. That hand transplant, nobody else my age has had it done, um, and 
the thing was is that I, it had it always had a chance to um, not take not take it. it would reject it because it wasn't my DNA and I would have to be on anti-rejection medicine for the rest of my life too so that was like a lot of work but then they said total hand transplants and you're like the only thing with that is that we're just going to take your toes and you're going to have a few toes missing on your foot, but they're going to be on your hands, you know, mm-hmm. and you can feel them and you can move and basically are you going to be able to do what you need to do? And I was like, okay, we're going to go with that option. So that took uh, one, two, three, four, like six surgeries, I think, to take the big, because the first thing they did, they had to separate this bone so I could have a thumb. And then after that, after it was separated, then they put the, the thumb, the toe on. And then after they did, after my, the right hand was done, it was the same thing with my left, the big toe on. And then after that, these two were put on and then same with my left hand. Mm-hmm. But it took, like I had to relearn how to walk. It took me a whole, like I was in the hospital. I had my own room for a whole week. Was that was like nine, nine or 10 years old? I think I was 10 or so, 10, 10, 10 yeah, around okay. that age. Yeah, I had my own room where it was like all like it had to be the right temperature for my fingers. I had like a heater for me and I would I would stay there for a whole week after that mm-hmm. week and I could go home and like I could like I would be in a wheelchair this whole time and I had to keep my hand elevated, my foot elevated. Um, and I was in a wheelchair for a whole month with every toe to hand transplant. After it was after that month, after the week and the month, then I had to learn how to walk again. So I had to start putting pressure on my feet. I had to start, you know, moving my toes to get feeling. I had to like uh, to do a lot of work like that. And uh, so that was with every surgery, my toe to hand transplant Um, and the nose reconstruction. That was really a fun process because like, well, what they did was they took a piece of my rib, they put it on my nose. Then after that, they took skin from my scalp. So they basically like cut all around the skin, brought this whole skin. They shaved my head. Uh, It's not as, it wasn't as long as it was, but they took the whole skin and brought it down to cover that rib. And it was attached to like that for a whole month. So that way the the skin could get uh, blood, you know, going to it, so it could attach to my nose. After that month, after that month, I had to like change all the bandages like two, three times a day. They would fall off. Like you just see scalp. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that was, uh, you know, after that month, then they cut the skin that they didn't need. They cut it, put everything the skin back. It took. Uh, skin transplant to put up to put for the missing part that i used for my nose they covered that spot up which is right here um and then after that like during that month though i called it my little pet because like i would just have like a flop of skin all over my face you know and it was super hairy like wow. it would just grow so i was like this is my little pet like a little mouse you know so i would like pet it so, so I, had, you, I had to have you, you were pretty positive uh throughout the whole thing I, yeah, I mean, you. I had to because uh-huh. there is literally nothing else I could do. You know, like I could sit there and feel the pain or I could feel, you know, but what good would that do me? You know, it wouldn't do me anything. So 
even the family, like sometimes I'd feel down and they would use like, you know, little jokes that, you know, could turn that bad moment into a good moment. Well, Um, like, I know when you're in a hospital, you're in a depressive state for two weeks, but how did you eventually get out of that depressive state? uh, In Romania? Well, I, I was literally a choice I had to make because everybody around me was willing to help me out. I had Jessica and Ashley that would come and visit my brother and sister. They would come and visit. And it really, I, I was just, I had to give time to myself to feel what I needed to feel Mm -hmm. Uh, the pain. And, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. So I, I needed to feel that, but then I just also, I think it just clicked that I understood that, Again, I, I had nothing else to to do. Mm-hmm. I could either sit there and slowly die or I would need to be more positive and happy so I could heal myself from the inside out to, you know, like, for example, if I would have found, I think if I would have found out that my parents passed away right when I woke up, I didn't give it three months, I think I would have died mm-hmm. because I was I was already feeling so much pain on the outside and knowing that I would have felt felt that same pain that my parents passed away. I think that would have killed me because I couldn't, I wasn't able to handle it all. Yeah. So I think those two weeks really gave me time to feel the pain, understand like, okay, they're not here. The doctors, nurses threatening me to put IVs or tubes in my nose. I'm like, I don't want that, you know? And so I had to just make a choice for myself after, you know, after I understood it, that I could sit here or keep going and be happy. But like in your teenage years, now you're 21, but in your teenage years, uh, you know, a, a lot of people I interview, they, something happens to them. They don't quite understand what's happening at a young age. And then when they get older, that's when they start hanging out with the wrong crowd, get involved with drugs, alcohol, start getting in trouble. Did any of that, those negative habits, did you form that when you were in high school? Did, did, did those events that happened to you when you were a child catch up to you later in life? Actually, I started doing that even before the fire. That's what, so Romania, it's so crazy because they don't have rules. You can smoke, you can drink at any age. At as, eight years as as, old? Wow. Yep. Man, I started smoking cigarettes and drinking and I was, when I could start walking. <laughs> like, I was I was a thug back there. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like, yeah. So I always, and, and that always, I always understood that. Like, you know, and that's why I had to kind of forgive my dad because he was not in his right mind. Yeah. He started from a childhood where you could do whatever you want. Uh-huh. And there's no rules to protect you against that. And so... I think that was the reason why I kind of went and forgiving my, you know, him and being okay with the situation. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, eventually after coming here um, to America, kind of things, you know, started going like I, I did like drink or like I smoked weed, but you just have to find a fine line of, is it helping you? Like, cause too much of one thing is bad. It doesn't matter what it is. You could love someone too much and that's bad. You mm-hmm. could drink too much water and that will kill you. You know, you, you'll drown in your own water. So that is something I always look back. Like, 
if I keep going the same rate that I'm, I'm in, you know, 10 years, what is that going to show me? Am I going to be like my dad? Am I going to, you know, be angry? I'm going to be upset. So I always had to keep an eye on that. And, you know, um, I do love, I, I love smoking weed. I don't, I actually haven't shared this with anybody. Okay. So I, <laughs> but I'm becoming more confident in myself uh-huh. because it, if you were able to use it, yeah. right, it really does help you mentally and physically uh-huh. with, you know, what you're dealing. But again, don't overdo it. You have to uh-huh. let it, you know, okay. I, it helps me sleep and it calms me down or, you know, helps me with the pain. But you can't use that to, for everything that you're feeling uh-huh. like, for every pain that you're going through, you can't drink it away. You can't like it, eventually what happens is it's going to catch up to you. Um, and then you're going to feel it all at once. Mm-hmm. Cause if you don't have that, you, now you're counting that the, the alcohol is helping you deal with your problems or the weed is helping you deal with your problems, which they're not, they're just softening it. They're making it easier for you to deal with it. Yeah, that's so true because I mean, I don't really give advice on, doing alcohol or yeah. drugs i mean i don't recommend it to anyone in high school especially no. <laughs> in high school i never did any of that in high school but i know people love to experiment i, I know people will do it eventually and i always tell people do it responsibly and don't get hooked on it never rely on it as a substance for you to overcome certain challenges in your life And as far as I would probably go, because I don't want to be seen as, you know, the expert in certain situations like that. But, you know, you say you did it occasionally, but did you ever get into that depressive state in high school or get angry in high school because of your past? Well, what happened is I got, what happened, okay, so once I came to America, it was literally basically Uh from Romania after the fire, it was all go, go, go. I had to fight for my next surgery. I had to fight to get food. Like, you know, I had to fight to survive. I came to America. It was the same thing. I, one surgery after another, I had to go. Um, and I never had time to focus on myself. And high school, I, I kind of started getting a little bit more depressed because I wasn't sure what was happening with my life anymore because I was done with surgeries and I was done, you know, go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And I was just really a step back and relaxing and really kind of, I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, I don't want to go to school. I don't know what job I want. What can I do with my hands? What can I do? You know? And so that's when I started smoking. But then, like, I just, I started realizing that I was getting in that bad habit. And so I started kind of going to the gym, running. I started even doing a lot of jobs. Last year, in 2019 or 18. I probably had about 20 jobs. I would just literally go one job to another because I, I, I like learning. And then like, you can see from my past of surgery after surgery after surgery, like that was the mentality that I had and I liked doing them. But after a while it got boring again, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same with everything in life, but I kept going and, and I like that kind of just kept me, going towards a goal and not necessarily that I stopped forgiving that I was sad or depressed, but that it kept me going to something better than sitting there and feeling sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so I mean, 
there's even even probably like last week there was like a time where i'm like man i don't know what i'm doing everything i'm doing like i feel like i'm helping people i'm i'm making people smile but yet i still feel like i'm i'm behind like mm-hmm. i am not doing what i'm supposed to and you know i th- i feel like everybody's going to go through that time in life but it's okay because it's just a little rough patch we're going through but as long as we keep going you know one step at a time yeah i mean makes it 21 man i don't i don't remember yeah 21 was like that for me um i went from this perfect straight a student um 5.2 gpa extracurricular activities teacher's pet everything to now when i went to college that expectation of me kind of was gone and i want to do something that i enjoy doing and i didn't know what it was so for the first time i wasn't getting good grades i was consumed in partying i was consumed with my fraternity and i kind of lost track of who i was and 21 man 21 was bad because i just i was trying to figure that out it was at, it wasn't until 22 hit when i read a book which kind of completely changed my life and made me realize i wanted to become a speaker and that's when things for me started to change when i kind of developed this mission statement for myself and mm-hmm. I, i i revolved all my goals around that personal mission statement i had and ever since in the past eight years seven years i've been doing that wow nice so you figured out a base yeah. first and it evolves i'm not saying i'm positive all the time man oh yeah it's like who can be it's like i'm making progress it's uh, i'm going up and then i just fall back down and then i get back up and i fall back down but i keep going it's it's not like a i give up yeah. anytime and i I, i find uh-huh. ways to snap out of it oh i love it well, never give too? up <laughs> yeah uh huh i got That's this awesome. before i turned 18 uh huh is yeah cuz i was going through that little rough patch you know but i got my uh lion tattoo right here oh that is cool <laughs> i i want to get a big one i don't know what next. it hurts <laughs> it, just, it does what do you do when you have those little funks that you try to get out of oh man i usually i usually just sit there and feel sorry for myself <laughs> like okay I, 100% man uh-huh. 100% Like I either listen to music super loud cry or I like go in my room and I just feel sorry for myself. I'm like, okay, what can I do? You know, like yes, this time is terrible. Uh-huh. Like I feel terrible. And then I just like if you spend like a whole day or half day in your room and you can't like do anything, then eventually you start like, okay, what can I do to make it better for tomorrow? I know there's something that I can do to make it better. But that's the first thing you have to understand is you have to feel sorry for yourself because i mean some people like will feel sorry for you but they won't understand it mm-hmm. but you understand it so it's okay to release some of that negativity that you're feeling by crying working out going to the gym uh whatever but that's what i do I, i just i sit there i'm like i feel sorry for myself if i have friends that want to you know get me like hey you want to come to the beach want to go mm-hmm. get food i Sometimes I deny it like I don't want to but if they keep being a, a you know persistent I'm like you know what I think it's a good thing I think it's you know I think they want me to get out they want me to feel better 
but as long as they know, like, I'm still not feeling okay. Like I might, you know, but I still, yeah, that's what I do. I just, I try to make it better and it's okay if you feel sorry, but mm -hmm. I look at it like this. Okay. So imagine you have a bottle and you keep on filling it with negativity, more negativity, and you don't release it. You just keep putting the top on it and then you, you know, have more and you fill it up. Eventually what's going to happen is it's going to get so much negativity in that bottle that it's going to explode. And when it explodes, oh, yeah. when, it, when it explodes, you can't control it anymore because you don't know what piece to focus on. It could be about yesterday. It could be about 10 years ago. It could be about today. You don't know. Mm -hmm. But that's why I, I like to just sit there, feel it, let it go. And then now it's a lot less. Now it's, you know, percent of what it was or 20 percent of what it was mm -hmm. so it never completely goes away but it's, it feels it, it releases it if you understand it mm -hmm. it's a hard topic for me to explain that's what i know it, it, it makes sense and i and i say in my when i go and speak at schools that a lot of times when unexpected situations do happen or when you just down and feeling sad and sorry for yourself, a lot of people just keep it in. But when they keep yeah. it in, it's it's not healthy for you because eventually, like you said, you're gonna explode, which is why you yeah. need to find like healthy processes that you do every time you fall into this little funk, whether it's opening up to other people, whether it's feeling sorry for yourself, whether it's having a journal and writing down everything that you're feeling. I realize that journaling really helps me yeah. Um, but that really gets you out of this little funk that you are in. It it really does, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what helps me a lot too. Is I have social media, and I'm not afraid to share what I feel. Mm -hmm. And it really helps me to kind of it stay. It, I stay more open to it now. Mm -hmm. I you know, that's that's it takes time. First first thing, it just like like you said, figure out that there's always negative and positive. Mm -hmm. and you just have to figure out a, a middle line between them to mm -hmm. where, you, where you can function. Because if you have too much positivity, eventually you're going to crash and then you're going to feel negative. If you have too much negativity, you might get stuck there. And by the fine line, mm -hmm. it's, it's a hard one to find. But and as long as you never give up. Your TikTok started blowing, off, uh, blowing up. What got it to increase and what got you that brand recognition? I mean, I, I first starting it, I started it just to, to be me, to, you know, uh, I went on a road trip like two weeks before COVID or like a month before COVID, just in a car. I was just in a car the whole time for two weeks, a uh, road trip in a car. And two hours into it, I decided to stick my head out the roof and I took my hat off and I forgot that I had my glasses on and the glasses flew off. And so we, I was pretty upset, so we turned back, we tried to find my glasses, nothing, like we couldn't find anything. And at that time, I knew I had two choices to make. I could be super upset, we could turn back and, you know, or we could keep going and Logan, my nephew, uh, he would drive the whole time and I would just kind of be there, you know. Uh, and so we both kind of agreed on, okay, I know you can't drive, but you're here. I can't, I'll take it over. And so... We kept we kept driving and I was like, All right. So I made a TikTok video, it was like short story. I stuck my head out the window, 
and I lost my glasses. And and I didn't. I, I after that, I didn't look at it at all until like four days later. I get a few friends like Snapchatting me, and they're like, "Yo, Marius, you're on my for you page." I'm like, "For you, FYU page? What is that?" And they're like, "For your page?" I'm like, "On what? What are you talking about?" They're like, "TikTok, bro. Your video's blowing up." So I what? go on TikTok. That's yeah, dude. Crazy. I go on TikTok and I see it. I'm like, "Holy crap! What's happening?" And then I and then I started going through the met. It was like fifty thousand views or something, you know. Mm. And like it just kept going from there. And then I kept reading the comments, and people were very curious of what happened to me. Mm-hmm. So. I, 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 my first TikTok that I did of me, of what happened to me, I had, I had Logan in the car and I was like, short story. And then I had Logan to like, what happened, bro, what happened to your face? And then I did that. I'm like, well, I got, and he said it. And I was like, well, I got burned in the house fire. What happened was TikTok decided that was offensive because Logan is like, bro, what happened to your face? You know? So they uh-huh. took it down. I had to make another one. After that, that one went viral. It's like it was like 15 seconds. I just I was like I was in a house fire. I was burned in a house fire when I was eight and a half years old or something, and I got like over a million views. Wow. Um, yeah, I and think that's the that, one I saw. Yeah. After that, I just kept making videos, you know, and uh, sharing my stories of how I do things with my hands, of how the fire happened, and. And then I shared the story of how the fire happened. And that one got like over 33 million views. And it's just like somewhere in the, it's somewhere in the, in the videos. It's one of the short stories, but. What are your goals right now with um, team Marius? Uh, yes. I mean, so I have, I have a lot of goals. My goal right now is to, I mean, it's, it's the same as it always has been. It's to help out people and make them smile mm-hmm. um team marius first started by the two girls jessica and ashley they they were there and made me laugh when i was in the hospital when i was feeling pain they were the ones that arranged for everything to get it to get me here and they started team marius.org uh which was for people to donate money for me to come to america uh to get the albeit medical you know to pay for the things i needed and so I started now with TikTok and everything. You know, I still, I love making people smile. I love helping people. And so uh, my goal with Team Marius is to really just be out there, start, you know, use it for nonprofits. Um, here soon when it opens, that actually shows uh, that I'm going to be teaming up. I'm going to be donating a portion of Team Marius to Shriners Hospitals for, for Children. And then I'm going to also make my own Team Marius nonprofit again, where for any clothing, any money from the clothing, it actually goes to Team Marius, my own nonprofit again. And I want to just be able to help children all around the world, fly them over to get medical assistance or even helping homeless people with food. But really, there's, there's, there's just so much you can do after this. But the... Yeah, my goal is just really to be a team, help, because that's how that's how it all happened. It was two girls that helped me, and after that, more and more people got involved in helping me get to where I am. And mm-hmm. so, I want to create that team environment of, you know, I am helping give back, but I also, you guys are a team, so you guys are helping. You know, what goes around comes around. Mm-hmm. 
And I forgot so, to ask. I forgot to ask you this. You got adopted, correct? Was it by the same family yeah. or is it a different family? Yeah. So I got adopted by Ashley's family. Okay. The Woodward's. Yeah. Um, so after Ashley got married, then her family was like, "We like Marius," and she got married to your brother. To... Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she, yeah. So Ashley married my brother, and uh, mm-hmm. her family adopted me, which is crazy. But yeah. In the hospital, I actually called Ashley and Jessica, my two American girlfriends, because what happened was this uh-huh. kid was like calling me a monster. He was like super mean to me. And I told Jessica and Ashley that, and they're like, okay, Marius, the next time he's mean to you, just tell him, tell him that you have two American girlfriends and what does he have? So uh-huh. I told this other boy that, and after that, he stopped bothering me. And so after that, I just always called Jessica and Ashley, my American girlfriends. Uh-huh. But when we came to America, the big joke was that my brother stole my girlfriend, Ashley. But it it was just, I was a kid, you know, I was just playing around. Like, my American girlfriends, they were never, but yeah, it was a fun thing, too. That's amazing. Do you have any last tips for people going through a tough time right now? Whether, uh, I I did interview someone else, Alexis Joel. He was involved in a house fire, 75% burns. But there's things that people go through, parents divorce, getting bullied, getting bullied, friends stabbing them in the back, a loved one passing away. Just unexpected situations happen to everyone. And when they do happen, what tip do you have for them? I mean, life goes up and down. But mm-hmm. if it, when, when it is hard, you just feel like giving up. That's the time where you need to like try the hardest to make it okay. Because after that, like anything is possible. You just have to keep on going, not never give up, you know, because anything could happen any, any day. You just have to like make the best of it. And, and it's okay if you feel sad. It's okay if you're hurting. Just always, always keep on going. Never stop. Uh, One last question. I end this podcast episode with this question always. What does resiliency mean to you? Resilience is means to me that to keep on going, really be overcome your obstacles that you're dealing with right now. Not not necessarily not necessarily having them be okay, but you being okay for them. Like resilience is overcoming the bad situation. So even though it's a bad situation, it's what you do to make it to make overcome that problem. Mm-hmm. I think that every, every single one has it in us. We're resilient because we all feel pain. doesn't matter if it's different, but it's still pain. And, you know, we, we try to understand and try to make it best, but yeah. I love it, man. Marius, thank you so much for doing this podcast interview. Where can people find you? I'm on Instagram as T Marius. And I'm also on TikTok as one T Marius. And basically, Facebook, Marius Dacianu, Mm -hmm. which is D-A-S-I-A-N-U. That's about it. Anywhere you look, you can find me. A little bit of here, a little bit there. I love it, man. Truly do appreciate it. Um, I, I'm glad I reached out to you. I'm glad you agreed to do 
this podcast interview and I'm grateful to now hopefully call you my friend. You are. You're my friend. Always. (laughs) All right, man. I love it. Take care. All right. Thank you for tuning into the Teenage Impact podcast interview. Uh, I interviewed Marius and Marius told us about his house fire experience in Romania. His parents passed away from the house fire. He was stuck in the hospital for about eight or nine months. Luckily, he met two wonderful women from America that brought him to America and put him in the Shriners Hospital. One of the women, uh, one of the women married his brother and later adopted him into the family, which is an amazing story. He had to go through many surgeries on his, on his nose, on his ears, on his hands, on his eyelids. And he has stayed positive throughout the whole experience. He said that there's no point of being in this depressive state and being sad over circumstances that you cannot control. We are in control of our mindset. That doesn't mean that he doesn't feel sad. That just means when he does feel sad, he lets himself feel sad at that moment and then thinks about the things that he can do to overcome that sadness or the feelings that he is going through. He's such an inspirational guy. I'm so glad that I got to interview him. And you should go check him out. Go follow him on Instagram and go follow him on TikTok. If you haven't done so already, go download my free ebook, The Seven Quick and Easy Ways to Feel Better About Yourself. And if you're not following me on Instagram yet, go ahead, follow me at Shlomo Solson. I'm going to keep you up to date about my upcoming book, which I am going to release in about a month and a half. So until next time, peace.